Welcome to the Valley Point Podcast. Valley Point Church is a faith community located in Glen Mills, Pennsylvania. Our mission is pointing people to real relationships and real significance. This week continues our series, Unanswered. Enjoy and thanks for listening. Well, good morning and welcome to Valley Point Church. My name is Ben, and I'm one of the pastors here, and with me is our lead pastor, Eric Kohler. So everyone, give it up for Eric. And if this is your first week with us, we're happy that you're here, and you've chosen a great day to be here. This is a unique day for us. We don't do this every week. But in light of the series that we've been a part of throughout the summer months, we're doing something a little different today. So we've been in this series called Unanswered. And through this series, we've kind of located some some questions that are commonly asked, but are a little difficult to answer. And so we've looked through scripture, and we've tried to come to a conclusion of, based on being a Christ follower, how would God want us to respond to these questions? And so we've looked at that. Well, a couple of weeks ago, we gave all of you the opportunity to submit some questions to us, specifically to Pastor Eric, that you would like for him to answer. And you did a great job. A lot of questions came in. A lot of them we kind of anticipated just with where we're at in culture and and the things that are going on around us, but some really intriguing and have invoked some thought. And so you'll be able to listen for your question that you submitted a couple of weeks ago. Now, we weren't able to obviously answer every question that was submitted, so what we try to do is kind of take the ones that were repeated and ask those. And then I sort of peppered in a couple of my own just to give them a breath in between the tough (laughs) ones, right? Well, you're going to know which ones you all submitted because they're the tough ones. They're, they're, They're the hard ones. The ones I ask are pretty easy just to give them a little break. And just so you know, Eric, so, you know, you could be a little encouraged. As all the elders began to arrive today, they, they, they somehow found me. They were looking for me to say, really give it to them today. Don't take it easy on Pastor yeah, Eric today. Of course. So, of, co- of course, the, the, the elders have your back. Yeah, they you do. Take, take heart in that. But is everybody ready for this? Go. All right. Eric, are you ready for this? I'm ready. All right. So we're going to put you on the hot seat. Question number one. Who is your least favorite staff member? <laughs> no, don't answer that. That's going to cause all sorts of problems. I have an answer. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. For real, here's our, the first question that was submitted. How should I, as a Christ follower, respond to the current political scene? Hmm. So I think a lot of people are very troubled with the current political scene and probably troubled with the overall direction of our country. And I think this is driving many conversations right now, if not almost all of our conversations. The uh, animosity, the rhetoric, the vitriol seems to be quite alarming when you think about what's happening. So I think in responding to the current political situation, you have to rest in a few thoughts that God gives us about government. And so this is kind of what I begin to review in my mind when I look at what's happening in the country or even around the world to say, you know, what what is God doing? 
So when you look into Scripture, a few of the things you discover about God and government is that he is the one who establishes governments and rulers. And so God's not asleep. God's not unaware of what's happening right now here. He is aware, fully aware of what's going on. And I think secondly, God uses even sinful governments to accomplish his purposes and even less than perfect leaders to accomplish his will. And I think that one's really hard to understand Mm -hmm. because I would probably do it in a different way. I would choose really solid, good people. But God uses even sinful leaders and governments to accomplish his purposes. And when you walk through scripture, you find that happening over and over and over again. And I think the third thing that we can rest in when you think about the political scene is that if we are followers of God, one of the things we are commanded to do is to pray for our political leaders. Whether we like them or not, whether we agree with them or not, we are commanded pray for them. And so I've really been thinking about that recently because I would be the first to admit I don't pray enough for our local government leaders or our state or even our national leaders. I know I don't do that. And so whether we agree or not, this is a command that God actually gives to us. So November will be here soon, and we will have a new president. That's going to happen. Some people will be very happy about that. Other people will be very disappointed with who wins, and they will threaten to move to another country, which is always a unique (laughs) thought to me. But here's what I know. We're going to have a new president. Jesus will still be king, and we'll have someone new to pray for. So I think that's how you respond to the current political situation. And it's most difficult to pray for those who you may disagree with, mm-hmm. and, uh, but that's what we're commanded to do. So as a follow-up to that, though, can I, as a Christ follower, uh, vote for someone who doesn't align with all of my moral beliefs? Mm. I think you can vote for someone who doesn't align with all of your moral beliefs, And this is difficult, and I think the reason it's difficult is because it's hard to find someone who agrees with you on 100% of anything, even people who are like-minded. And so when you think about our political leaders, it's really, I think, almost impossible to find someone. If you dug into all the details, like I agree with 100% of everything that they stand for. I think that's a difficult thing to find. And personally, it's my opinion that we should not be one-issue voters, meaning if I don't agree with this one issue, with this particular leader, then I'm going to throw everything else out and I would refuse to vote for them. I think we have to look at candidates and political leaders with a little bigger picture and a little bigger view. And so here's what I do when I'm thinking about who to vote for. And by the way, I think everybody should participate and should be involved. That's a great thing and a freedom that we have that not everyone enjoys around the world. So I think we should be involved. So here's how I kind of evaluate political leaders, especially when there might be a moral disagreement. So you might find this helpful or not, but I'm going to share it. I kind of look at, does this particular leader, do they have the ability to fulfill what I think is the biblical role of government, which is to reward those who do right and to punish those who do wrong. And we find this in the book of Romans. That's the overarching theme of government. There's a lot that falls out 
under that that government needs to do and should be doing, but that's kind of the big theme. They reward those who do right and they punish those who do wrong. Outside of that, I think there are many things that are very close to the heart of Jesus. The poor, orphans, the marginalized, and those who have no one to advocate for them. And I think those individuals are close to the heart of Jesus. So I look for candidates who, are they going to reward people who do right and punish those who do wrong? And do they have a heart for the things that moved the heart of Jesus? And so I think you can vote for someone who you may disagree with on a moral issue, but ultimately this is a very personal issue. It really is. Mm -hmm. So in one word, who are you voting for? (laughs) You're really pressing into this voting thing here. Uh, yeah, I'm not going to tell you. I'm not going to tell you. I tried. You. I tried. <laughs> and, and the reason that, you know, I'm not going to say is I, I've been a pastor for 23 years now. and I've worked in four different churches. And I have always felt it to be very important for me. Now, not everybody agrees with this, and different churches do different things. But I have always felt it's very important not to politicize the church. And again, some churches do this. And I think what you discover in those types of churches is everybody thinks and believes the same way. One of the things I love about Valley Point is I don't politicize the church. And so what you will discover here is there is a wide variety of beliefs on who we should be voting for. And if you don't believe me, just jump on Facebook and friend people in the church. And we are all over the place. So, and I think that's okay, and that's healthy. There can be great discussion over this. But I don't politicize the church because it's important for me that when you invite your friends, and we encourage you to do that all the time, extend an invite, fill the chair next to you, that what they hear here is Jesus and hope and purpose and how they can survive another seven days and not a political platform. I just refuse to do that. And if you're looking for that from me, you're going to be really disappointed because I'm not going to politicize the church. I don't think it's a good idea. Yeah, I think that's very wise. And then on a personal note, Hmm. there's a lot of folks who are new to Valley Point in the last few months. They may not know you and your family. Can you introduce us to your family? Yes, the family. Okay, this is much easier. (laughs) The family. My wife, Tanya, and I have been married for 23 years now. We met in college and got married shortly after we both graduated. And together we have six children, three boys and three girls. And I'll I'll run the list of ages, which is kind of difficult. So we'll see if I can pull. I was actually asking Tanya. I'm like, are they really this old? Is that? So our oldest son, Cameron, is 20. And he is a junior at Temple University. And we have a daughter named Clarice. She's 19, and she's a sophomore at Eastern University. And then we have a son named Chandler. He's 16. He'll be a sophomore at Garnet Valley High School. Then I have a daughter named Kaylee. She's 13, and she will be in eighth grade right here at the middle school. And then I have a son who will be 10 years old on Tuesday. That's Caden. So if you see Caden running around, wish him a happy birthday. And he'll be in fourth grade at Bethel Springs Elementary and then our Pennsylvania baby. We had a little daughter when we came here. Her name is Cambry, and she is five and will be in kindergarten. So that's our family, and we we have a lot of fun together. This keeps going. 
It does, yes. Six kids. <laughs> you know there's no Olympic event for that, right? right. <laughs> By the way, what is your favorite Olympic event? Favorite Olympic event? I would have to say... Uh, you know what? I didn't get to watch any of the boxing. Uh, I would have to go for the beach volleyball. That's a pretty intense environment, so I, I like the beach volleyball. I like diving for some reason. Oh. I don't even know why. I, just, I really enjoy it. I don't know. So, at the beginning of each year, we kind of go through a series <laughs> called Life First. What is your current Life First for 2016? Okay, it's 1 Corinthians 1558, and I, I love this verse. It has been driving my conversations this year and my thoughts. And it, to paraphrase it, it basically says, Dear brothers and sisters, be steadfast and unmovable. And I love that thought because there is so much in life to cause us to be moved by everything. And so, dear brothers and sisters, be steadfast and movable. And always be enthusiastic about your work for the Lord. For you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. And so this has been guiding me throughout the year as I sometimes get discouraged in my work or wonder if I'm doing anything that's worthwhile. Okay, be steadfast and immovable because what you do for the Lord, it is not useless. And be enthusiastic about it. And so I try approach my work with energy and enthusiasm. And I love what I do, so that's really not that hard. So that, that's always, my verse. It's always easy to, to get hundreds of people into a singular direction, right? That's always a joy. It's very easy, yes. <laughs> so a couple of weeks ago, you talked on uh, mental health hmm. and mental illness. And there was a couple of questions that came in as a follow-up to that. So here's one of them. I have trusted in Jesus alone to save me, but I still struggle. Can I be healed from my mental health illness? Hmm. Well, I think you can, and I think God can do that as well. Probably the question becomes, will he? And perhaps this is something that I walk through life with, and with God's help, I manage the pain, whether it's a mental illness, or you could even throw in physical illness into this. So that's probably not the answer that the individual was looking for. So let me, let me say this, because the question is interesting. They talk about trusting in Jesus. And so I think often we have to go back to that component. And if I have trusted in Jesus alone to save me, then no matter what I experience in life, physical, mental, and everything in between, no matter what I experience, I have someone who will not leave me. He just is not going to leave. And I think often we forget about that and we underestimate the power of the forever friendship that I have with Jesus, my rescuer. And some days that's all we may have. And scripture tells us if that's all we have, technically... That's enough. And so I just want to ring that bell a little bit, that if I've trusted in Jesus, even with a mental illness, I have someone who will not leave me, and that's really important. But I am also reminded of the Apostle Paul, one of the most prolific writers in Scripture. And he walked through something very interesting in his life where he describes a thorn in the flesh. So he had something that was really bothering him that he didn't mm -hmm. like. Mm -hmm. 
And there's been a lot of speculation from scholars as to what that thorn in the flesh was. Some scholars believe they were severe headaches. Other people believe epilepsy. Others believe it might have been a vision problem that he was having. Ultimately, we don't know what the problem was. What we do know is that three different times in the book of 2 Corinthians, he cried out to God and asked for the thorn in the flesh to be removed. Like he just said, God, take it away. Take it away. Take it away. And God didn't do it. He had to live with that thorn in the flesh. What God did do is he told the apostle, through this weakness, my strength will be known to many. And so with a mental illness, a physical illness, if this is something that we are not freed from, I think we have to keep in mind that through this, God's strength and power may really be visible for a lot of other people. And I think in the process, we have to do the things that I talked about on that week, like seek help. And if you have some type of mental illness, seek help, professional help, Get people around you who will love and support and encourage you and hold you accountable. Immerse your mind in scripture. We talked about that. We also talked about serving and seeking to reach out to other people and starting a thankful journal and just keeping track of what I can be grateful for even when I don't feel that great. So I think these are all things that we need to keep doing while we pray. I think it's fair. To rush into the presence of God and say, God, I I need to be delivered from this. I don't want it anymore. Again, whether it's a mental illness specifically is the question here, or even a physical illness, I think it's fair to boldly approach God. He invites us to do that. So let's rush in. Let's ask. That's okay. But in the meantime, maybe this is something that God wants me to walk through for a bit, or even for my life, so that his strength can be shown to others. So I, I think that's, yeah. that's how you can respond to that. It's fair to ask, but if mm-hmm. God will do that, I can't answer that for him. And based on the principles we see with Paul, it's not if I ask him and he doesn't remove it, then I'm doing something wrong or right. I didn't do something right. It's trust. Yeah, and, exactly. And because it's, it's up to him whether or not. Exactly. And Paul's the perfect example because here's someone who was a writer of scripture. He had access to God and God didn't answer one of his requests the way that he or asked. Or it can often be, well, you don't have enough faith or you don't believe enough and it's not necessarily that. That's right. Well, here's another question, a little on the lighter side, but important for us when, when I think you're going to unpack this we get this oftentimes. It's, why do I have to fill out this connection card every single Sunday at Valley Point? It's annoying. All right, the connection card. Well, it's part of our strategy, actually, here. And so that's why we, don't, we do it. We don't just do it to you know, have fun or make you do work. It's, it's part of our strategy. And the strategy involves reaching out to our guests. And so we want to create an environment where everybody is doing this so that they pick up on... This is something that happens here, and I want to do this, or it's good for me to do it. And I want you to keep in mind, when somebody comes to church for the first time, and I would imagine in the room today, we have somebody who walked through the doors for the very first time. That's a big deal, a really big deal. And if you're newer to Valley Point, you know what that takes when you walk into a room for the first time. You don't know where to stand. You don't know where to park. 
You don't know if there's coffee. You don't know if you can take coffee into this room. You don't know where to check into your, your kids. You don't know who to talk to. You don't know if you're going to sit in a seat that belongs to somebody and they're going to get grouchy and yell at you. You just don't know anything. And so it's, to me, it's sometimes shocking that anybody comes to church for the first time. But we have this at Valley Point, a lot of first-time guests. And so we want their experience to be special. And so this is why we ask everybody to fill out the card. It's not for you necessarily if you've been here for a while. It's for that person who's here for the first time. And just so you know what happens for them is when they fill that out, if they're gracious enough to give us their information, they get a phone call thanking uh, us or thanking them for, for coming. We want to thank them. I send them an email. I send them a handwritten note with a Wawa gift card. And that's not a gimmick. Again, we value their time and their big choice to take a risk and go to a church for the first time and make themselves uncomfortable. And so we want to surprise and delight people. And so that's why we fill out the connection card. So it takes 60 seconds. Just fill out the dang card. (laughs) Moving on. (laughs) It's not hard. (laughs) This was a very interesting thought that came through. Why did Judas have to betray Jesus? Because Jesus could have found, been found and arrested without Judas's help, right? It's true. Uh, Judas probably wasn't needed in that process. So this is an interesting mm-hmm. theological question. I think Judas probably betrayed Jesus because he wanted to. And that was the choice and the conclusion that he made at that particular time in his life. And maybe understanding why, I don't know if we'll ever get that, this side of heaven, but I think he wanted to do that, which, again, doesn't make sense. Why would you want to betray Jesus, the rescuer? But when you study the life of Judas, there are a few interesting thoughts that kind of fall out of what you observe. I think one of them is you never get the sense, and again, Scripture's not conclusive on this, but you never get the sense that he actually trusted in Jesus himself. So the other followers, the other disciples, often would publicly declare, yes, you are the Messiah, you are Jesus, and they would publicly state this. You never find Judas doing that at all. So you never get the sense that he actually believed Jesus was who he claimed to be. I think the second part of this is that Judas never really had a personal relationship with Jesus, at least based on the different stories that we find in the synoptic gospels. What you find there is there's a lot of interaction with different disciples, and they're eating together and having conversations, they're debating. But with Judas, he always seems kind of distant. And as a matter of fact, the instances where he is interacting with Jesus, one, Jesus is actually rebuking him for being greedy over something that Mary had done. She had poured out perfume on the feet of Jesus, and Judas got all upset because it was a waste of money, it was expensive, and they could have sold that perfume and given it to the poor. He kind of couched it in very religious terminology. But Jesus actually rebuked him and said, no, this was a beautiful act of worship, and you shouldn't take that away from her. So that's one interaction. He's Mm -hmm. being rebuked. One of the other interactions is when we actually find him betraying Jesus. And so you never get the sense that they had a a personal relationship. I think something else that's interesting about Judas is when you find the disciples listed in Scripture, 
you generally find Peter, James, and John in some kind of order listed first. When you read scripture, lists are very important. And when you see a list of names or dates or something like that, you can know how they're listed. There's generally a rank to that. And what is listed first tends to have greater value. And so what you find when the disciples are listed, Peter, James, and John, they're always right there. Well, what we know of Jesus and his interactions with the disciples is that they were on the inner circle of the relationships that Jesus had. They were really close to him. And then you find other disciples listed. Guess who was always listed last? Judas, which, again, just gives us a picture that he had a very distant relationship with Jesus. Was there, but they weren't very close. And then I think, thirdly, Judas, perhaps, thought that he could make a lot of money off of Jesus. Again, we get the sense that he was greedy, and he was consumed with finances, and he thought that maybe Jesus would usher in freedom from the Roman Empire, and he's obviously popular. A lot of people are drawn to him. He drew crowds. Everybody knew that. So I wonder if Judas perhaps thought he could make money off of the fame of Jesus. And when it became apparent that it wasn't going to work that way, he found another way to make money off of Jesus by betraying him. So was it necessary for Judas to do this in order for Jesus to die on the cross? Probably not necessary. It was prophesied, though, that someone close to him in Psalm 41, somebody that he ate with, would actually betray him. And so it was prophesied, but I think beyond that, Judas wanted to. That's the mm-hmm. choice that he made. Yeah. So he still made the choice to betray Jesus. Mm-hmm. Well, just for sake of time, I want to answer one myself. Somebody asked, uh, can we do another Financial Peace University? Well, just so you know, coming this fall in just a couple of weeks, we have some next step classes. Perhaps you've heard about them. You received a little flyer about those. One of those classes is going to deal with finances and how we can align our financial goals with what God wants for us. So I would encourage you, if that's something that you're looking for, to get signed up for that class. You can do that anytime, just for you. Fill out the the card you have or go online, and you can do it online at valleypointchurch.com as well. There's other classes that are going to be offered as well, along with that, a marriage class, theology class, uh, um, a denominations class, and an end times class. So, so just choose which one interests you, and we encourage everyone this fall to get involved with one of our next step classes. All right? And this next question, though, is definitely one of the, the, the current topics of our time. It's a big topic right now. And the question was posed is this. How can I approach conversations about the LGBT community if I do not have a widely accepted belief on homosexuality? And then uh, on top of that, should I remain politically correct to avoid conflict in this area? Well, certainly this is new territory and a big part of many discussions. And the church, not necessarily our church, but the church at large... I think is having a difficult time knowing how to respond to this. And that's true for us as well. It's just a challenge. So, a few thoughts. I think you can disagree without being disagreeable. Does that make sense? 
I think that's possible. But it really depends on your posture and your attitude and your rhetoric. So I think you can disagree with people over different thoughts and issues without being disagreeable yourself. Unfortunately, I think this is being lost in our culture, which makes this all the more challenging. That to disagree with someone doesn't necessarily mean that you don't like them or you hate them or that you are bullying them in any way. And so this is really becoming a challenge. But I do believe you can disagree without being disagreeable. How do you do that? I'll, I'll get to that in a moment. I also think you don't have to be politically correct on this issue or any other. If it violates your conscience, that's not fair. If it violates a biblical principle, we certainly wouldn't want to do that either. And so I don't think we have to be politically correct. I think we need to speak the truth with a tremendous amount of love covered in all kinds of grace. And that's what it takes. So maybe just a a, a few thoughts about this. Uh, How? How can you disagree without being disagreeable? How can our posture be good when we have these conversations? Well, a couple of weeks ago, I gave a talk that was really centered on anger. And so this is something that I've been reviewing in my mind. And it wasn't specifically geared toward the LGBT conversation, but it was geared toward responding to people that maybe upset us. And so I rolled out, here's a template for anger. And in Romans, Scripture tells us, if you want to lessen the stress and have less anger in your life, be quick to listen, slow to speak. Doesn't mean we can't speak, but be slow to speak and be quick to listen. So be quick to listen, slow to speak, and and slow to get angry. And so these are thoughts and principles that I have been applying in my life in regards to this very issue. I have friends that are gay. And I have what I believe to be great conversations with them. And I am quick to listen and slow to speak. Not that I don't speak at all, but I'm slow to speak and I'm slow to get angry. I just refuse to do that. And I'm not perfect at this by any means, but I'm really working at this. Because I have found when you put those three things together, it works. It just, it works, it works. And you can engage in conversations with people, and you can even disagree, but you're not disagreeable. And so with my gay friends that I have had conversations with about these issues and even more, I have found that they are willing to talk with me even though they know that I feel different than them on some of their choices and some of their conclusions. They know how I feel about some of that, but yet we have very, very good conversations. And so I would encourage you as you embark into this world, and we all need to deal with it. It's here. And so let's not be fearful of it, but let's do this. Let's be quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to get angry. I would say this. The world needs a lot less angry Christians. It's just true. Uh, There's a lot of angry Christians out there, and they don't help, in particular with this issue and a lot of others. So angry Christians, it's just not good. So let's uh, take Romans to heart. It was written a long time ago, but I have found that works. It works with my kids uh, when I not necessarily talk with them about these issues, but others. You know, when you get get angry and you want to 
you want to point out, and well, this is what you need to do, and you want to talk fast, just doesn't work. So quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. It and works. It, and it can be challenging to, to speak with our children about this, especially young children who are trying to formulate their, their own ideas and, and how to handle all this. What, what's some insight, some, some advice you can give to parents on how to speak to our, our children? Well, parenting is tough anymore, isn't it? Probably always has been because there's always been issues, but it just seems really challenging anymore because of all the things we have to talk about and discuss. I think with our kids, you freely share what you believe and why. So it's not just here's what I believe, but here is why, and we have to be ready to back that up. This is just parenting, and so we have to parent. And then I think beyond that, We have to know what our children can handle. And sometimes I think we may share too much information. And so we have to be in tune with our kids. And where are they? And who are their friends? And what are some of the other things that they have heard? So we know what they can handle so we can appropriately respond to a question. So here's here's an example. When we go on vacation, generally there's at least one large suitcase that's very heavy. I would never ask my daughter, Cambry, who's five years old, to carry that suitcase. It's impossible for her to do it. She cannot handle it. It's too much. But I would ask one of my older kids to carry that suitcase, and I do, because they have the ability to handle what is in that suitcase. And so I think when you consider this whole conversation, that you have to know what can your kids handle, and then you give them what they can handle, and then no more. And I want to share a story on this. I, I heard this a while ago. It made me laugh. I think it's kind of funny, and, and you've probably heard this maybe at some point. Uh, it was on the radio or something, and it was a story about a dad who was traveling in a car with his very young son. His son was in the back seat. And his son said, Dad, where did I come from? And the dad said, oh, wow. I don't know if I'm ready to discuss this, but... You know, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to go for it because he's asking and so I'm going to give him all of the information. And so the dad took a deep breath and just walked through all of the birds and the bees and he just let his son have it. And after that conversation, the dad took a sigh of relief and felt confident that he had done a great job and said exactly what he needed to say. And so he looked in the rear view mirror and there's his son with really big eyes, of course. And he asked his son, well, why did you ask that? And his son said, well, I asked that dad because my friend Anthony said he came from New Jersey. (laughs) So you got to know the question, all right, and know what your kids can handle and don't give them too much. If my 10-year-old comes to me and asks about these types of things, we'll engage in a conversation, but I will give him a lot less based on what I know about him than what I would my 16-year-old son or my 19-year-old daughter. All of those conversations are different. So parent, it's not easy, but we have to do this and have conversations. And yes, it'll be imperfect and messy, and that's okay. But parent, and I would not be afraid to share what you believe and why. Thank you. Now, now a couple of questions came through. You know, you mentioned parenting is difficult. Of course it is. And we had a lot of questions about when, when can we have another parenting series. And we just so happen to have one planned this fall season. 
And so uh, a question was asked, can we have a, a teaching series uh, specifically in re- regards to overcrowded schedules and overcrowded calendars? And by the time this series comes, it, it may be a little late for this fall, <laughs> but, but maybe it can help us in the, in the coming year uh, as we're setting our schedules. So be, be looking for that and be here and be engaged throughout the fall season here at Valley Point. We have a lot of things happening and a lot of things to offer to you. And then on to uh, what is another controversial topic, right? So these things just keep coming. Uh, What can Valley Point Church do to help bridge the gap with racial divisions? Well, we're also going to talk about this in October, and we had a chance to get away and plan a bit as a team, and we talked about what do our people need to hear, and what are the conversations that you're having, and groups and with friends, and so this is something that came up, and we're going to address this in October as well, but I think one of the things to keep in mind with this is that there's things that we can do as a church, as a body, as a group, as an organization, but we can't forget that we're the church everywhere that we go, and so you as an individual, when you're at work, when you're at school, when you're at home, when you're doing whatever you do in your community, you are the church. You don't stop being that once you walk out the door. And so I would really encourage all of us to be asking this question. And how can I be a reconciler? How can I make things better in terms of all of the tension related to race right now? So we all have to take this upon ourselves, and it's not just about what the church can do as a body, but what are we doing at work and at school and the places where we work and play and shop and all of this. So we all have a responsibility in this. In terms of our church, I would encourage everybody to participate in our love days because this is really where a lot of our reconciling takes place, and we're working with organizations where that tension often is great. And so we're trying to help these organizations do what they do more effectively. And so I think that's a great opportunity for us to be individuals who are a part of reconciling this tension. Yeah, and the the Love Days are great. They've they've personally, for me, been a, a, a big opportunity of growth for me personally. Well, very quickly, so we gotta keep things moving here, but didn't wanna skip this question completely. So uh, we have a wide variety of backgrounds here as a church, a lot of denominational backgrounds, and you've chosen to make Valley Point your church home. But the question often arises that I have friends and family members in other mainstream denominations who do not support me attending Valley Point. So maybe one or two quick thoughts on how I can respond and ease this tension. Mm. Well, I wouldn't debate about church or theology or doctrine. You can talk about those things until the cows come home and generally we're not going to change people's minds, especially our family. So a couple of recommendations. Pizza with the pastor. Get them to sign up for that, all right? Because that may help them. That's actually a joke, all right? (laughs) Maybe it doesn't help. I don't know. They can come. Yeah. Uh, Pizza with the pastor. No, do this. Um, talk about generosity. When you're talking about faith and specifically Valley Point, talk about our generosity 
and that culture that exists here, which I think is very rich in generosity. Talk about what we give away and what we do. Because people might not agree with you on practice and theology and style, but it's really hard to argue with a faith community that is engaged in giving things away and being generous. And we do that all of the time here, from what we collect on Sundays and give away to the Saturdays where we go out and serve, to our Christmas offerings where we give away thousands of dollars to organizations. Talk about generosity and zero in on that. And then if you have children, then talk about your kids. And if it's benefiting them and helping them, your family is not going to argue about their granddaughter or grandson or niece or nephew. If it's helping them, they're going to be open to that. So talk about generosity and talk about your kids, and I think that can help. And talk about your personal life change, because it's hard to debate mm-hmm. what, what, what you have communicated as happening inside of you. And then lastly, we've got some good news that continues to flow in in regards to our Real Home project. So can you quickly explain what Real Home is and then give an update on where we currently are? Okay. Are we, are we tight on time? Uh, we're pretty tight. We're tight. Okay. I'll make it fast. <laughs> Uh, For those of you who don't know, we have been pursuing for many years now building a real home on the property that we own less than a mile from here on Bethel Road. And we've walked through a campaign, and we have been just in the process of designing and and trying to do this. Had a lot of challenges along the way. But I shared with you a couple of weeks ago a lot of good news. We have um, really getting into the final details of crossing the finish line on this. So I am very happy to share with you today that we received, and you're going to see this on the screen right now, we received our very first permit, which is a green light to begin work. So, big deal. Yeah, this permit, uh, long time coming. Uh, We received it on Friday. It actually allows us to begin the work on the school side that brings the water and sewer lines to the edge of our property. So we still have to walk through a loan closing and then hopefully sign the contract for the construction part on our property, the infrastructure in the building. That's all coming hopefully yet this month so that we can just continue the process. So we received word from our contractor that that work on the school side will begin on Monday, August the 29th. And so they're working quickly to get that accomplished, hopefully before school begins so they can get off the school property and start mobilizing onto our property. So this permit, uh, this is a government, this is an official document. So it's real. We have the ability to move forward. And for those of you who have been here for any length of time, that's a big, important piece of paper that is very exciting, and God has just been all over that. So we're very excited about that. And one of the things we've been announcing is we have this prayer event scheduled for today where we're praying those water and sewer lines to the edge of our property so that we can continue our process. I will let you know that is still on right now, but it looks like uh, we are going to have too much water. <laughs> so, so for those of you who have been praying about water and sewer, uh, we weren't specific enough because it looks like a big storm is coming and we're going to be rained out this afternoon. So how funny that we're going to pray for water and sewer and we can't actually gather to do that. But uh, just watch uh, the website and watch social media, but it does look like we have a really big challenge in doing our outdoor event where we're going to pray this afternoon. So we've set up a rain date of August 28th or a week from this Sunday, which would be kind of fun because then the actual work begins on Monday the 29th. So just be aware, if it's raining, 
or if you watch the website or you're on Twitter or Facebook, we'll, we'll get that word out there about the cancellation. But here's the fun thing. So I actually received, watch this. This is kind of fun. Ben's going to help me. We've been hiding this up here. All right. This is, <laughs> this is an actual water line that will be in the ground. And so during our prayer event, which again, it doesn't look like we're going to be able to pull it off today, but when we have it, one of the things that we're going to do just as a symbolic way to say, God, we are so thankful for how you have directed this process is we're, we're going to sign this. And then this is going in the ground and will be forever a part of our story of God's goodness and how he worked in, quite honestly, miraculous ways. miraculous ways in order for us to be where we are today moving forward with a real home that we'll be able to enjoy for generations even beyond all of us so that's uh that's the real home update really exciting news and thank you uh pastor eric for prayerfully leading us Mm. towards our new real home can we thank eric for his leadership And God has ordained him to lead us to our promised land, right? Our, our next real home. And so in conclusion, again, just wanted to thank you, Eric, for being candid, for taking the time to do this. It's not easy answering these questions, so thank you for that. Um, if your question did not get answered, sorry, it didn't make it this time. But we have a lot of what came in had actually been answered in this series on previous weeks. So if you go to valleypointchurch.com under messages, you can listen to past, past messages and your, your question may have already been answered. And then I want to invite you to come back next week as we wrap up this series. So next week's our final week of Unanswered. So be here with us next Sunday. And would, in closing, just like to encourage you, whatever your unanswered question is, keep seeking. Keep reading Scripture Keep praying and don't stop looking and seeking until you find your answer because Scripture has something to say or a principle to apply to every single modern-day issue that we have. And Scripture has everything we need to succeed in life. So read it, know it, and pray through it. And don't stop looking. Thanks again for being here. Would you pray with me as we close out the uh, message time here. God, thank you for our time together, and thank you for Pastor Eric and his leadership, for his candidness, and um, just, just bless our efforts as we seek to show love to everyone around us, to show your love, and to show uh, respect, and, and, and to, to truly seek Scripture to find how we should and how you have asked us to respond to some difficult questions, some difficult issues. And just as we continue to to think through this together, uh, bless those efforts and help us to find the answers that we are looking for. Guide us in that. And in your son Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. We'd also love to have you join us on any Sunday morning as well at the Garnet Valley Middle School at 9.15 or 11 a.m.